all the testimonies and the good looking crowd we've got here this morning and uh, thankful for this day. Uh, let me say, uh, it's, I know it's already been said, but Happy New Year to everyone. How many people slept the New Year in? Amen. Uh, I was attempting to, but uh, Drew was still awake and an exciting football game was on and he is excited to watch the ball drop. And I guess I just don't have the same excitement as I used to, I don't know. But, uh, but anyway, I... Um, I didn't get to sleep the New Year in, but I was trying to. Um, I'm not going to preach this morning. Uh, normally at the first message of the year, the New Year, I'll preach a theme, what we want to have for that year. Uh, hence, these two signs on each side of the church. This one was from a couple of years ago. Obviously, this one was from last year. This one we'll need to take down. And we're going to put up a new one in a couple of weeks. I'm still praying about what to do, and I've got an idea of what, what I want to preach on next week, the theme, but I've, I've got something this morning that God has given me that I think will be beneficial, and the testimonies and some things said went along with it, so that's comforting to a preacher to let you know that you're at least halfway on track. Um, but I do want to say, uh, hopefully these two signs don't get uh, just normal fare that you look at and never pay attention to. I hope every now and then that you, everybody in here reads these two signs and you think, huh, maybe I need to think about that or pay attention to that. So anyway, turn with your Bibles to Psalms chapter 88. Psalms chapter 88. This Psalms more than once. Um, a couple things I'm going to tell you about it as we start a Psalms chapter 88. As you're turning there, I'm going to give you a little bit of introduction on it. This is one of the saddest, most gut-wrenching chapters in the Bible. You say, why would you preach on something like that? Well, number one, God put it there. So apparently he saw fit for it to be in there. And it's written by the sons of Korah. Now, if you don't know who that is, I'm going to tell you real quickly uh, if you remember in the Old Testament when Moses was leading the children of Israel and on one particular occasion a uh, family came to Moses and said, Moses, we think we can handle this as good or better than you and uh, you need to take a little bit of a back seat here, old buddy. Let us help you a little bit. And they was going to rise up in power and show everybody how great they were. Well, God disagreed with them and basically, long story short, the whole ground opened it up and swallowed everybody there on site but a few of Korah's sons. They're the only ones that survive out of this entire family. Why God spared them, I really don't know for sure right off. The Bible may tell it. I don't know if I've been there. Uh, it very possibly could be, but they wrote this psalm. So when it comes to heartache, I think they had a little bit of experience with it. Uh, they could write a little bit about heartache. Imagine that your family revolted against the leader. This does apply to today. <laughs> um, anyway, you'll, uh, uh, as being pastor, but imagine that you're doing your best to lead a, a few million people and you know without a doubt that God has put you in that position. You know without, with certain that God is speaking through you to them and suddenly that they rebel against you and rebel against God and against what's going on 
And God says, I'm going to show that this is something I don't approve of and the whole ground opens up and swallows them up and they disappear. And you're standing there and you just watch your parents and your whole family disappear right before your eyes. Now right or wrong, that would shake you to the core. It would upset you regardless. And, and, and whether we want to admit it or not, most of us, when our family is wrong, we will see that, but we still have more compassion or more forgiveness sometimes for our family than we will someone else outside of our family that would be guilty of this. In other words, we want to think us and our family is more right than what other, other people may think or believe. So no doubt the sons of Korah probably somewhere in their minds are thinking, but dad wasn't that wrong, was he? I don't know. God said he was. He did exact opposite of what God said. So now that I got you thinking a little bit, no, hopefully the ground is probably not going to open up this morning and swallow you here sitting on your pew and you disappear. Hope not. Psalms 88, verse 14. Is everybody there? He says, Lord, why castest thou off my soul? Why hidest thou thy face from me? And here's our main point of our message. I am afflicted and ready to die from my youth up. While I suffer thy tears, I am distracted. Thy fierce wrath goeth over me. Thy tears have cut me off. They came round about me daily like water. They compassed me about together. Lover and friend hast thou put far from me and mine acquaintance in the darkness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again, Lord, for this time together. For this day that you blessed us with, this day that you've given us, and God, as we start a new year, Lord, realistically, in your time frame, in your timeline, God, this is just another day. But Lord, for those of us here on earth that you set time up for, we know that the new year means a new beginning. God, we know that no powers changed hands last night. We know that no politicians got voted out last night. We know that all these things are in place today, but God, in our mind, it's a time of fresh start. So Lord, I pray that as we start a new year, God, we don't know what this year is going to bring. We don't know what tomorrow holds for us. And God, we're not even real sure about all the things that happened last year. God, we know what happened in our life. We may not understand it all or be able to explain it all, but God, we know that it was there. And Father, I pray as we start down this road of 2023, that God, you help us put our minds focused and fixed on you. That God, we trust in you more than we ever have. And God, I pray, Lord, this morning, if there's anyone here that's lost that doesn't know you, God, if you need me to preach something totally different than what I've got, if you need me to go a different direction than what I have here, then Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to please speak to my mind and my heart put my thoughts in order and give me the power and the anointing and the words needed for this hour. And God, I thank you that you're there for us. And God, you love us so much that you sent your son to die for us, Lord, some 2,000 years ago. And God, you have given us the hope of eternal life to be with you forever in heaven. God, will there never be another heartache, another pain, another sorrow. And I thank you for a home like that we can count on. So I pray this morning, God, you speak to everyone that's here, hearts that's needed. In Jesus, your name we pray, and amen. Now, as I've already spoken to you about this psalm and, and its, its heartache and told you a little bit about it, the first time I read it, that verse 15 just kind of jumped off the page at me when it said, uh, I suffer, while I suffer 
thy tares, I am distracted. You may or may not know this, but uh, if you haven't figured this out yet, you will soon in life, don't worry, but distractions can come in all forms, shapes, and sizes. And we can be distracted from a lot of different things in our life. Uh, a lot of things distract us, our family, our kids, our parents, uh, whatever parts of family you want to mention, our job, uh, money, that's a pretty good distraction sometimes, uh, sickness, problems, uh, just whatever it may be and so on and so forth. So many things can distract us from what we should be focused on. Things that we should be focused on, first and foremost, is God. We know that, right? on us and on all these things and God uh, revolves around that not our life revolving around God uh, but all these things should revolve around him now no doubt Satan uses distractions in a mighty way you've heard me mention this illustration before uh, a few things if Satan had a yard sale one day or if he had a aside by themselves and I think distractions would be a pretty big one uh, years ago I heard a, a pastor preach on the deadly deeds of uh, deadly deeds, deeds of Satan I'll get it out in a minute and uh, distractions was one of those depression, defeat, discouragement all these things come into play and usually defeat is the last one but it can start with distractions and and so what happens is our distractions gets our mind off of what it needs to be on and off of whatever is distracting us at the time. And there's usually something, uh, there's consequences to this a lot of times. There's usually uh, lost sleep, lost meals, upset stomach, uh, short uh, tempers, uh, short spoken, all these things that sometimes go with it, sometimes we're quiet and so on and so forth. But it can have a negative impact on us. And the Bible does not hide this. I believe that strongly. Now the word distraction only appears in the Bible twice. Here in Psalms 88 in the form of distracted and in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 it talks about distractions. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is talking about marriage relationships and the distractions of our fleshly desires and how that we need to keep them under control and if you must marry or different things it's saying to do that to keep them being distracted or pulled away then that's what you need to do and it's more to it than just that but that's the short gist of it but this morning what I want to preach to you about is what's got you distracted what is distracting you now when the Bible tells us here in verse 15 when he says, I am afflicted and ready to die from my youth up, while I suffer thy tears, I am distracted. One of the things you've got to realize that this psalm is written from is from the sight that the sons of Korah witnessed, but from the sins of Israel. There were great distractions upon them, and God's tears was upon them. I don't know about you, but I think the greatest distraction that I believe you could ever have on earth is feeling like that God has put his finger on you, and his terror, his wrath is suddenly resting on you. Friend, that's not a comfortable place to be. Uh, you, uh, sometimes everybody in here has experienced, no doubt, some kind of great, nice, big, uh, fat thunderstorm. 
where I mean the lightning is coming down, seems like right in the living room with you. The thunder is louder than anything you've ever heard. The wind is howling and the rain is coming down and there's not a thing you can do about it. But sit there and enjoy it. Well, in life sometimes, distractions can be the same way. It can be a storm and there's not a thing you can do about it. But I believe a lot of times we can do something about our heart and our focus to help us be less distracted than what we are. Now this last year, I got to admit, there were some things that distracted me at times. Just in the last week, I had some things to really distract me. Uh, You all know, uh, a few weeks ago, both vehicles broke down in one evening. I got a phone call this week I didn't particularly care for. I had things happen that wasn't fun. My dad has suffered through sickness and still is. I've had church members in this church suffer through things that distracted me. I've had people in my life that had things happen to them. I've had things happen to me. And things can distract us. And the problem comes when they distract us from God. That's the issue. So for those of us that watched the new year last night come in and stayed awake, stay awake with me just for a few minutes and we'll be done. So number one, what distracts you? Sin is a distraction. We preach about sin a lot. You know why? Because unfortunately it's in our life a lot. Uh, We are enticed and pulled away by our own fleshly desires. So our Our sins become a distraction in our lives. Not just the ones that we have committed, but the ones we want to commit. We may not follow through with it. We may dabble with it. We may touch on it. It may just brush against us, but it's still a distraction. And Satan uses these things. He knows what sins to send our way and how to tempt us so that when we are enticed by our own lust, and he puts the, the carrot, so to speak, in front of us like you do the horse to keep it walking on Bugs Bunny. Well, he puts that in front of us. And we become distracted. What sin is it in your life that's distracting you that you need to cut off and say, you know what? I'm not going to fall prey to that anymore. As we start a new year, you can start this year by saying, you know what? Whatever it takes, I'm going to cut this sin off. How many willing to do that to keep that distraction out of your life? We are distracted sometimes by so many things. Eve was distracted by the beauty of the fruit. She was distracted by the knowledge that it gave her, the power that it gave her. You say, he didn't say anything about power. You know, he did. He said it didn't make her smart and wise like God. And we look at things like that and sometimes sin can seem so shiny and so nice and so clean. And it's not. It's rotten to the core every single time and it becomes a distraction. So when your sins as past sins, present sin, or getting ready to commit sin, whatever it may be, uh, they can be a distraction. And then because of our sin, number two, it separates us. Let me read what the Bible says here. We oftentimes get distracted because of God's tears or feel like his tears is on us because of our well, a couple of you said it kind of mildly. Uh, we just made this point, uh, just preached about the last five minutes. Uh, sometimes we feel like God's tears is on us because of our sin. 
And then number two, verse 16, it says, I fear's wrath goeth over me, thy terrors have cut me off. Number two, we feel separated. We're distracted because of our separation. Sin separates us. Not only does it separate us from God, it separates us from each other. Uh, I thought as Cody was, was leading, I thought, man, that goes right in line. He said, when my relationship with God is what it should be, my relationship this way is what it should be. I know when my relationship with God is doing good, I'm spending time in prayer. I'm spending more time in the Word. I'm, I'm talking with God more regularly. I'm, I'm, I'm committed to Him, and He's committed to me always, and He's cleaning me up and cleaning me out. I love my wife so much more. I'm at peace in my heart so much more. I can treat her like I should. I love you all more like I should. I'm more devoted and dedicated like I should be. I'm, I'm enjoying life more. I've got more joy, more hope, more fellowship. Everything is better. But when my sin starts distracting me and I start getting separated, that means I'm not only just separated from God, I'm separated from you as well. And you say, but preacher, don't look at me because it separates you from me and everybody else in here just the same and those around you. So let me ask you, over the past year, what was it that separated you from God and from everybody else? What sin was it? Is it worth hanging on to to stay separated? Is, it, is the sin really worth that? To live in that kind of misery? That kind of guilt? That kind of shame? That kind of fear? Is it really worth that? I'd like to think not. To say separated? and have the distraction all around you all the time. You know one of the hardest things about work sometimes, for those of you that doesn't work or go to school, maybe some of you do both. I got a few teenagers in here I can preach to. One of the hardest things about going to school or to work, and I'm going to hit the retirees in a minute as well, or the never has worked maybe publicly, is when you have to get up and face your day and you are distracted by so many things and the last place you want to go is to school or work or just simply get up and face your day because of what's going on in your life. You wish some way, somehow, that you could take that day and turn the page and not even live it. That's distractions. That's been distracted. Sometimes it's not your sin that brings it. Sometimes it may be somebody else's sins that brought it, but don't catch yourself off the hook too much here now because don't worry, you've probably got somewhere, somehow, something that's involved. But we get distracted. And the last place we look is God like we should. I'm going to give you a quick little thing and I'm going to move on. I had someone tell me one time, I'm not going to say who, she said, when I uh, get something gets a hold of me and something starts uh, just eating me up, she said, I sit down and I start writing scriptures. She said, and I'll listen to nothing but gospel music. She basically does anyway. She said, but I won't listen to anything or watch anything that does not have God involved in it. She said, I so, and it wasn't my Aunt Janet. She said, it wasn't, she said, my mind gets so flooded with God, I cannot help but think about anything else but him. But most of us want to wallow in what we're dealing with rather than getting our hearts right with God and getting our faith back in God like we should. We want to sit and struggle with it. Why? Because we want to fix it how we want it fixed rather than letting God. Let me tell you something. Basically, most of the time, no matter how bad it bothers you, no matter how much revenge you want, 
You can't fix it anyway. Even if we could, we'd mess it up worse. That's usually how we get in the mess to start with. I hope I'm making sense. I, sometimes it's hard for me to know if what's in my mind and in my heart if I'm getting it across. I, anyway, verse 17 says, they come around about me daily like water. They come past me about. Number one, sin distracts. Number two, separation distracts. Number three, feeling surrounded distracts. Do you ever feel like you're surrounded by your guilt and your shame and your punishment? Or maybe you're surrounded by enemies all around you. Maybe you're surrounded by, uh, on every hand, everywhere you look, there's a distraction to get a hold of you. One of the greatest enjoyments I've ever had in my life, and some of you are going to look at me like I'm crazy, but you do anyway, it's okay, is quite a few years ago, uh, my wife spoke at a women's uh, conference down in the Bahamas, and let me go ahead and tell everybody, for everybody laughs and makes fun, there's lost people there. And I go to the part of the Bahamas, the travel agencies doesn't show you. I've never got to stay in a five-star resort. I stay in a house with no air conditioning most of the time. And it's summer and it's hot. But anyway, but I still, we still get to enjoy some things. But one time, Amber spoke at this, so I was kind of off the hook on this particular trip. I had some free time, so I got to go scuba diving in one of the greatest places in the world, in the Bahamas. And I actually got to do a shark dive. And so... You, get, you look down in the boat, you get out of the boat. We, did, we was just not very far at all off, off the, from the island there, off the bank. And, and, and as soon as I got in the water, the first thing I saw was the bottom, like 40 feet of water. I was like, wow, I've never experienced that clear water before, scuba diving. I've never been to Summersville, and sometimes it's from me to Janet, sometimes it's from here to the back wall. And I, I looked, and I seen a shark swimming around. Oh, ooh. I'd never seen a shark like that before. And then after the, that was one dive, then the second dive would go down, they got what they call the arena. They got a row of rocks in a, in a circle like this and they, they taught us and went through a big spiel, I'm not for time. And you'd go down and you kneel down behind a rock, you pick a spot and you kneel down there. They bring a bait box down and take it around that arena as they call it and there's about 30 sharks swimming all around you all the time. I had, you all have seen my one computer, that one shot, I got that shark swimming straight over my head. I could have reached up and touched it as it swam by. A couple times their fins rubbed against me as they came by. Real live 10 foot, 8 foot long sharks. And you know, if one of them had decided at any point that I was lunch, there's nothing I could have done to have stopped it. Not one single thing. Now, thankfully, they didn't. I still got all my fingers and arms intact. Now, in life sometimes, it feels like you're surrounded by the, your sharks of your life. Whatever enemies you got in life, it'll feel like they're sharks, and you're surrounded by that, and there's no escape. Understand, in 40 feet of water, you don't just start swimming to the top. It doesn't work like that. Your lungs will explode. Anyway, and sometimes it feels like there's no escape. That's a distraction that'll take your eyes off of God. And who do you think are behind most of these? It is Satan himself. And just as he distracts you, he distracts me. And I have to fight 
often struggle with things sometimes. I'm just as human as you. And there's so much of the time that instead of looking at God's word, we look at the distraction. We keep our mind and our eyes off the separation. We feel like we're surrounded by enemies and God all along was saying, I'm right here, I'm right here, I'm right here. I'm right in the middle of it with you. I've never left you, I've never forsaken you. I'm here, call on me, come to me, listen to me. God is saying, I'm here, I'm here. Just speak to me and we won't do it. We continue to look at the distraction of the people that's lost and they won't get saved because of the distractions that they got in their life. Am I making sense? Because I got some weird looks this morning. I don't know if everybody's hung over from, the, from, from staying awake all night or... I didn't say hung over from drinking. I said hung over from staying awake. What is it this morning that's got you distracted? Verse 18, he says, Lover and friend hast thou put far from me and mine acquaintance in the darkness. Number four, silence. Silence can distract us. Satan wants you in silence. Let me give you a couple things. Let's read, notice again what the Bible says. The writer says, I am afflicted and ready to die from my youth up. In other words, he felt like he was better off dead than to live. He felt like any given day, his death number could be rung up. He said, well, I suffer thy tears, I am distracted. He, didn't, he said, I'm suffering thy tears, Lord. I feel like your tears on me are making me suffer. Does it feel like that sometimes? Does Satan tell you that God suddenly picked your name out of the hat one day and said, I'm going to wreck their life? I'm going to put all my wrath on them at this day. I'm going to spend my day just, I mean, just trying my best to see what they can take. You know where that lie comes from? It doesn't come from God. I agree with you, baby. He says, Thy fierce wrath goeth over me. Thy tears have cut me off. They come round about me like, like water. They can pass me about together. I think one of the scariest things for me personally would be out on the water somewhere and a huge storm roll up. A plane, at least you got a shot at landing it. You can't pick that boat up and set it back at the dock. It's there. It's at the mercy of the, of the sea. It's at the mercy of the ocean. And you and I are at the mercy of life sometimes, whether we want to admit it or realize it or not. And you're at the mercy of whatever's going on around you and it will distract you away from God and Satan will get in your ear and tell you all that's wrong, all that's going on, all the bad, all the trouble. And all the while, you're distracted from God rather than letting the distraction move you towards God. It moves us away. He said, they about me like water, they can pass me about together. Lover and friend hast thou put far from me and mine acquaintance in the darkness. You know, one of the hardest things I think in life is being alone. I've said this before, and I'll, and I'll give you this illustration. If you made an offer to people that you'll get $5 million, if some billionaire said, we're going to give you $5 million, and there's one catch. 
Nobody would ever love you again. People would line up by the thousands to get that money. Let's say he gave it to a hundred random people out of thousands because people say, I'll buy love with that kind of money. You can't buy love. The only person that can buy love is God. You know how he bought our love? By the blood of his son. That's what he paid for you and I. And he taught us love and he loved us so much that it convicted us of our sins and showed us we were lost and dying without him. And he gave his life for you and I. And the night I got saved, it had nothing more to do with me getting saved than me not wanting to die and go to hell. That is the reason I got saved. You say, was I afraid? Yes, I was afraid because I knew I was fixing to die and go to hell if I didn't get saved. The silence. Silence. Does it feel like sometimes God's silent with you? Like in your worst, darkest hours, that's when he's the most silent. Like when you need him the most, he's the most silent. I've found some things in my life that will ring true every single time. God has spoken to us in 66 books every day of our life. He doesn't have to verbally speak in your heart because he has verbally spoken to you right here. Now I can't tell you that when you pick up your Bible when things are the worst, suddenly the first verse you read goes, whoo, man, that's what I needed right there. It don't always work like that. No. I can't tell you that singing amazing grace every time it's going to lift your spirits up and suddenly everything's better. Not the first time you sing it but the distractions will start getting less and less the more you start putting this inside of you and somewhere along the line the distraction will suddenly take a back seat to God's presence and God will speak to you and let me tell you this when I was taking a test in school the teacher never talked to me and they also told everyone else to be quiet sometimes you and I are going through a test and God is trying to show us what he's made of and what you're made of. But while the test is going on, the teacher is not going to talk and he's also going to forbid the people around you to talk as well because there's a test taking place. Distractions are designed by Satan to pull you away from God. They're designed by God to pull you closer to him. 2,200 times in the Bible the word come is there. God says, come to me. Come to me. All through the Bible, come to me. Come unto me. Come unto me. And most of the time, we don't do it. We hold on to the distraction. We try to fight our way through it. We try to live a personal life somehow trying to control it. And sometimes the distraction's got a hold of you. You want to let go of it, but you can't. But the more you pray, the more you trust God. And let me tell you something the harder it is to praise him, the more effective it usually is. It doesn't mean the situation is going to change. It doesn't mean that things are going to go away right away. Let me ask you a question and I'm done. Wouldn't you rather be able to get up and say I can face the day because he lives 
rather than getting up and say, God, is there any way I can just turn the page on this day? Can somehow, can we turn the page on this day and it not even exist? There have been times in my life I wished I could do that. And I'm sure there's going to be other days. But you know what? We can't. It doesn't work that way. So rather than letting the distraction destroy you, let it get you to God. Let it send you to God. Tonight I'm going to preach a little bit similar to this. It's kind of on a second part of this. It's going to be more towards God and less towards the distraction. So much this past year, distractions, 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 distractions. Right now, here's some distractions taking place. Everybody in here has probably heard of the tridemic. If you haven't, I'll quickly let you hear about it. RSV, COVID, and flu. All three are combined, and people, the hospitals are jam-packed because of all three. We've had kids, babies in this church suffer from RSV these past few months. That was a distraction. We've had people in this past year, they've been uh, rumors of wars with the U.S. There's rumors of famines. Do you realize I'm reading now that there's going to be a shortage of bread coming pretty soon? I can handle shortage of some things. Bread's not one of them. Those are distractions. Whatever political side you stand on, there's distractions. There's one place that's steady and sure that I've found, and that's with God and Him alone. I've never found Him to be a distraction. I blamed Him for one. I accused Him of being one. But in the end, I realized He was the only stable place I had, the only thing that was keeping me from holding it together. And that was Him. Father, we thank you again for this time together. And God, I, I, I pray, Lord, that you take this message, God, and you do with it what you can. Lord, I hope that I was honorable to you today. I pray that I, I did what you wanted me to, God. Forgive me for the lack of, of things on my part, God, and I pray, Holy Spirit, that you do with this message what only you can. Thank you for each one that's here today. God, I pray that you bless them, God, that you do something for them in our hearts this morning that only you can do. And God, I know that I probably did not explain this verse, God, as well, maybe as what it should have been, but God, I tried to preach what I felt like you put on my heart. Lord, I pray that I preached it the way that you wanted to, Holy Spirit. And God, this coming year, I want more, a whole lot more of you, God, and less of me. Father, I pray that we can look to you, God, as we uh, look down this life, God, in this coming year, Lord. I pray that, God, if for someone here this morning that's lost and doesn't know you, God, let this be the day that they say, I'm going to start out this year different. This year is going to be different than it's ever been. This is going to be my year. God, I pray that you touch their heart, you convict them, Lord. And God, do what only you can. Father, there's a hell coming. Lord, there's a price to pay. And God, there's only one way, Lord. You paid that price for us 2,000 years ago. And God, I pray that you speak to hearts and show them that. In Jesus, your name we pray. Amen. As we stand, we get a song. If you're here this morning and, and there's uh, something on your heart that God has spoken to you about, I invite you to come to this altar. But more than anything, if you don't know for sure if you're lost, if you don't know for sure if you're saved and you're lost and you would die today and you would not go to heaven, 
I invite you to come to this altar. And I invite you to, to come up here. If you can't kneel, sit down on the altar, sit on the front pew and make things right with God and settle it with Him. Because there's always going to be a distraction, something to keep you a reason from coming to God. There's always going to be one. Go ahead.